Can I tell you guys a couple stories real quick? Um, I like true crime stories. Anybody like true crime stories? I don't want crimes to happen, but I am fascinated when criminals get away with certain things. Okay, so there, let me tell you a couple stories that I thought were fascinating. There was this one guy who worked at a bank. And what he did is he set it up in the computer system so that every month, um, one penny from every account the bank had would be filtered into an account that he set up. So one penny from all the accounts. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but when you consider how many accounts a bank has, that adds up quickly. And within the span of less than about six months, he had millions of dollars in that account funneled in. And the problem is no one ever noticed because how many of us pay attention to a penny not being in the account? Well, eventually the bank caught on and they arrested him and he was going to jail. The problem is they could not prosecute him because of what's called a loophole. And here was the loophole. In that area, for it to be considered theft, whatever was being stolen had to have a value of two cents or more. And since he only ever stole a penny, he wasn't convicted in jail. They eventually got him in civil court and took all the money back. But the point is he got away with that. There was another story I read about uh, this area in Antwerp, Belgium. Now, Antwerp has this one block where like 90% of the world's diamonds are stored, okay? There's this just whole block, it's called Diamond Row, and it's in Antwerp, Belgium. And so this guy, he cased it out for two years. He got in, kind of became like one of the jewelers, and did this whole casing so that one day he can get. Now, this one particular vault had a ton of those diamonds, and one day he actually was able to break in and steal like 90% of the contents within the vault. It was so crazy that, his that he actually, his getaway was across the street from the police station. And he got away. No one ever was able to get him except for the fact they didn't know who it was until they found like a sandwich that was left on the side of the road. And they kind of put two and two together and figured out it was this guy. But by that time, he was gone. They had no trace, no understanding of where he was. Two weeks later, he walks right back into that same bank that he robbed. And he's immediately arrested on the spot. And so a lot of people are like, why would he do that? He got away. That's dumb. Some people think this is why. Loophole. In that area, the maximum penalty for whether you steal $500 or $5 million was two years in jail. So what some people think he did is he left, stashed all the money, came back, got caught so that he could serve two years in jail and then go back to the money and never have to look behind his back and never have to worry about anybody catching him ever again. Here's the thing. A lot of times we love to find loopholes. We were talking about the games that we're going to be doing for Breakaway. And one of the things that's hardest about games is when we set up games, what we have to consider is how much you guys cheat. And here's what I mean by cheat. You look for the loopholes. So you ask questions like, okay, so can we, can we go past this line? And we'll be like, no, you can't. Can, can we use this? Can we get a point? And you're always asking these questions because you want to know, okay, what are the rules so that I can find a way around it, so that I can discover a loophole. And it's not just you. The leaders are the worst ones. When we do, like, leaders retreat, they always try to cheat. They're always coming up with loopholes. Well, you didn't say we couldn't do this. And I'm like, oh, my God, do I have to give you every rule under the sun? But the truth is we are always trying to figure out what we can get away with. And we always ask that question, can I do this, can I do that? The problem is we take that same line of thinking into our relationship with God. 
into our faith. And many Christians, and I've done this for many years, I've had tons of students and leaders, they always ask me the same thing. Pastor Joey, can I do this? Is this okay to do? Can I date an unbeliever? Can I, um, you know, drink? Can I, they're always trying to figure out what can I do? What's the line? What can I do and what can't I do? As a believer, I'm Christian, and you guys have heard me. Sometimes people ask me, hey, Pastor Joy, do you want to pop? And I'll be like, no, I'm Christian. And I just do that because I like to see their confused face. Like, are we not supposed to drink pop as Christians? It's like, no, that's a sin. Um, but I love to watch how confused they are. The problem is, though, as most Christians, especially new believers, we always want to find out where the line is. I've heard millions of things, right? Pastor, is this a sin or is this something I can't do anymore as a Christian? Can I go there? Can I do this and still be a Christian? And that's always my favorite way that they answer. Can I do this and still be a Christian? Can I do this and still go to heaven? Can I get away with this? Can I find the loophole? Christians often struggle to find out the black and white. What can I do and what can I do? And most of the time, the truth is, it's because we want to see how close to the line we can get without crossing over. Right? So they'll ask questions, okay, so what, what can I do, like, physically? Like, is it okay to kiss? Is it okay to kiss with open mouth? Is it okay to put my hands here? Is it okay? Well, we didn't technically have sex. We just did sexual acts. But we didn't have sex. What were they doing? They're trying to find the line so that they can know how close to get to the line. Well, I took a puff, but I didn't inhale, so is it technically a sin? Like, well, I drank, but I didn't get drunk, so how close are we? And that's what everyone's trying to figure out. Like, is a buzz drunk or is a buzz? By the way, buzz is drunk, stupid. So just avoid it all, okay? Drinking's a one-way street. You don't want to get to the end of that street, so just avoid that street and go on the main avenue. But the main point is we all love to figure out how much can I get away with? Is it okay to swear as long as I don't swear at church? That's <laughs> like, well, no, but we want to know. We want to know what the line is. Non-Christians, they often struggle because they believe Christianity has too many rules. And a lot of times people go, well, I, I want to have a relationship with Jesus, or I'd love to be a Christian, but I just can't get over all your rules. They believe God is against all the fun that they want to have. Uh, that they, If they become a Christian, that suddenly they'll have this really restricted life, and they can't enjoy themselves. And I've literally heard people say, well, I'll become a Christian when I'm older after I've had fun. So I just want to do all my things. I don't want to be bogged down by rules. I want to live life, quote, unquote. And then when I'm older, maybe then I'll start going to church. That suddenly they think, I can't do anything if I become a Christian. The reason so many of us often struggle with trying to determine what we can and cannot do is simply because we are asking the wrong question. This is the wrong thing for you to ever ask. Can I do this or can I do that? I submit to you that instead the question should not be can I do this or can I do this. The question is what should I do and what shouldn't I do? Not what can I do, but what should I do? When you rework your brain and learn to start asking it in that way, it changes how you live your life. No longer are you trying to find how close you can get to the line and, and what's good and bad, but instead you start seeking the spirit. You start trying to figure out what you should do. Listen, the word can and can't questions rules. It questions law. It questions capability. So when you're asking a can question, can I do this or can I do that, you're looking for the hard set rule. The word can or can't questions the rules of law. Can I 
turn on a red light. Can I turn on the street on a red light? That's a can rule, right? And obviously, sometimes, depending on the hours, you know, if it's before 7, if it's after 7, you can turn on that. Uh, Mom, can I date this person? Well, sometimes parents put stipulations. You know, some of you, your parents might say, well, no, not until you're 16. Or not until the boy comes and introduces himself. Or uh, not until I meet the girl's parents. Or they have some sort of rules that they set up. So, yes, you can date, but here are the stipulations for dating. Can I uh, punch the rock in the face? Technically, if he's not looking, sure. You probably could sucker punch him and get a good one in, okay? Can you do it? Yes, you can do it. The question, though, it shouldn't be can, it, it should be should. The word, however, questions, motives, and considers the consequences. So when you start asking should, you're not asking for the rule, you're asking for the motive behind your question. <clears throat> you're looking at the consequences. In other words, should I turn on this red light is better than can I turn on this red light. Because can just questions whether or not you're able to. Yes. Should says, well, I could turn on this street, but there's somebody walking on it right now. So maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> right? If I just went by can, I'd hit the old lady. But because I'm asking should, can I turn on this? Yes. Should I? No. Because traffic's crazy. Because there's somebody in the way. I'm looking at the motives, not just the rule. Okay? Can is the question of, well, can I date? And you might have the rule of, of 16, let's just say. Should is different. Should understands, yes, I'm 16, and yes, I can date, but should I date someone who's abusive? Should I date someone who doesn't respect me? Should I date someone who doesn't love the Lord? It amazes me with adults and students alike, especially when it comes to dating. They ask this question, can I date them? Well, they're a Christian, yes, but should you date them? No, because they're not a good Christian. <laughs> because they claim Christianity, but they don't live Christianity. And so why would you line up with them? If God is supposed to be the most important part of your life, how could you then bring someone into your life who doesn't value that like you do? When you learn to ask should, could you date them? Yeah, of course. If they like you, if you like them, of course you can date them. But should I date them is a very different question. Should I date them considers my motives, considers what's going on. And the problem is most of the times we just wonder, well, can I get with her? Can I get with him? Can I seal the deal? Can I get to the point where we flirt and they like me and we become boyfriend and girlfriend? That's a can question. If you would have asked should from the beginning, you probably would have avoided a lot of heartache in the end. Because should told you right off the bat, they're not good. Not for you, not right now. Should says, well, can I date them? Yes, but I don't want to get married until I'm like 25. So do I want to date this person for 15 years? No, nah, I probably don't. Maybe I shouldn't date them right now. Maybe I should just keep them in the back of my head, and when I'm ready to fulfill this long-term commitment, then maybe we'll find out what's going on. Then I'll consider whether I should or shouldn't be with them. You see the difference between can and should? Can says, can I punch the rock in the face? Of course I can. Should I? No, because I'm not that fast, and I'm pretty sure he would lay me out after getting hit. <laughs> okay? Could you do it? Yeah. Should you do it? Not if you value your health. Okay, so there's a very big difference between can and should. And before Jesus, when you look at the Old Testament, the people of God only had rules. They only had the can question. Even with all their rules, it didn't cover every detail of life. And it was impossible to live without breaking at least one rule at least once. 
So when Jesus came on the scene, the religious people, those who really valued the rules, those who always kept the can rule against people, they came around Jesus and they tried to throw those can questions at him, figuring that he would miss something. But listen to how Jesus replies to them. Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40. Teacher, what is the most important commandment or rule in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus showed them two guidelines that they could filter every question through. Loving God and loving people as yourself. He said all the other details fall under these two key points. Later on, the Apostle Paul uses what we've been talking about to teach the people in the church of Corinth. Now, the church of Corinth was one of the most powerful cities in Greece at the time. This city was filled with Greek philosophers and people steeped in worshiping really messed up things. They worshiped sex. They worshiped idols. They had like really disgusting. I mean, if you think the sexual world now is bad, it wasn't anything compared to what was going on in Greece. Bestiality, uh, children, the whole shebang. It all went down in Greece. And this is the people that Paul is addressing. These are the ones that are used to doing whatever they want, used to living however they want, used to being fully expressed in anything they want to do. And on top of that, you had a bunch of people that questioned everything. The philosopher, the one who's constantly thinking, they're the ones who find the loopholes. They're the ones that are always trying to get around something. They're the ones that are always trying to take it deeper. So Paul is writing to this type of people, this church in Corinth, and the problem is the culture of Corinth, the culture of Greece, was starting to bleed into the church that he had established there. So Paul wrote a letter to clarify some things for him, to explain some principles to filter these questions through. So if you have your Bibles, look at 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 10, verse 23 through 24, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 32 and 33. Listen to what the Bible says. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Okay? So right off the bat, he's saying, listen, you're claiming that you can do whatever you want. Right? You ever had anybody like that? Psh, it's my life. I can do what I want. Right? You ever have somebody, Psh, you can't tell me what to do. I'm grown. I'm 15. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. You get these people with attitudes. Right? Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you, 17, 18, it starts getting weird at home. Because you're just as tall as your mom, you're almost as big as your dad, you know, you start flexing a little bit, you start thinking, well, who are you to tell me? Like, I'm grown now, like, I've lived my life. And you start, there's a little bit of a tug of war over who has the authority, okay? And so right away, he's saying, listen, you're making these claims, I could do whatever I want. Yes, that's true, but that doesn't mean that it's good for you. I can drink poison, it doesn't mean that's good for me. <laughs> Okay, so just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. And then he goes on to say, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that they may be saved. There are three principles or questions that I believe Paul points out to help us understand 
what we should do in various situations. When we're struggling to figure out what's the right thing to do, Paul points out three questions that will help you decide what you should do. So that we can learn to live the word out. That we can learn to replace this us talking. And without being people of the world, but learning to be the people that God has called us to be. So if you're taking notes, here's the first question. When you're trying to figure out, should I do this? Ask yourself this. Is this beneficial to your spiritual growth? Is this beneficial to your spiritual growth? Is this going to get you closer to God or is this going to pull you further away from God? That should be the very first question you ask. Paul reminds that, yes, they can do anything, but that doesn't mean that anything is good for them. So before you make yourself a decision, ask, is this beneficial to my personal growth? For those of you who believe in God, that means, is it good for your spiritual life? Does it make you love Jesus more? Does it make you honor Jesus more? Does it give a better example of your walk with God? And even if you don't believe in God, just ask the simple question, is this helpful to you? Is this beneficial to you? Okay? These are questions that are important to begin to ask. For example, you know, we often hear this idea of drinking and whether drinking is a sin or not. Technically, if you look in the Bible, drinking is not a sin, but getting drunk is a sin. And I mentioned earlier, if that's the case, if it's a one-way street and at the end of the street is drunkenness, and I know I'm not supposed to get to that, why am I going down the street anyways? I'll just drink water. I'm sure I'm just trying not to drink sugar, right? And so I'm trying to drink Coke Zero instead of Coke now. I don't, I don't need to battle something else. And so should I go down this road? No, why? Because there's no benefit to me in it. And if nothing else, it hurts my testimony. So could you imagine me preaching to you guys while I'm taking shots up here? Can you imagine how confusing that would be to go, what is he doing? Okay. Now think about it like this. Imagine how damaging your testimony is when you profess that you go to church on a Thursday, when you tell people you're a Christian, but then you're smoking blunts with them. They're going to sit there and go, so either Christians do this or you're not a real Christian. Either way, it's confusing to an unbelieving world. So you got to ask yourself, is this good for my personal growth? Does this bring me closer to God? Can I go out with my friends? Well, your mom may give you permission. But should you go out with them knowing what they're going to go do? That's a different question. Can I go out with my friends? Your mom may say yes. Okay, but what are your friends going to do? Listen, for me, I never had to tell my friends I don't want to be your friends anymore. They kind of got the hint when I didn't want to do the things that we're doing. And so I remember all my buddies, they're like, hey, we're all going to go to strip club. You want to go? No. Why? Why, why would I want to go? I don't want to do that. And so they stopped inviting me. Hey, we're, we're all going to go get hammered. Do you want to go? No, I don't want to. Why would I want to do that? I don't, that's not who I am. I would go back. Hey, do you want to get dinner? Do you, do you guys want to go to the park? You want to go catch a ball game? Like, I wanted to hang out with them, but I wasn't going to do what they wanted to do because it didn't benefit my spiritual life. So can I hang out with you, my friends? Yeah. But what are they doing? And based on what they're doing, should I? So many people get in trouble just because they've associated with the wrong group of people. You weren't even doing anything bad, but you were with them at the time. When you choose to do something that you know you shouldn't do, that is the very definition of sin. And that thing eventually takes control over you. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.12. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave of anything. So, so again, let's go back to it. He's saying, listen, you're telling me I can do anything I want. 
And yes, I'm allowed to do anything, but I'm not going to become a slave to that thing. Right? That's how addictions happen. They become a slave to the very thing they give into. Okay? Can I get on pornography? Yes. Accessibly right now, it's, it's easier than any time ever before. But when you wonder why you can't stop watching it, it's because you became a slave to it. And you no longer control it, it controls you. And when you wonder why you can't have a healthy functional relationship with another human being, it's because you only know how to connect on a physical level with a computer. You don't see it now, but it damages your relationships long term. It gives you a false sense and a false definition of what God intended sex to be, and it controls you. You no longer control it. This goes with anything in your life, even things that look good, right? Can I eat a whole cake at midnight? Maybe you could. Should you? No. Not if you don't want diabetes, okay? There's, there's just different things. So you have to learn to filter your life. Instead of thinking can, start thinking should. Alcoholics know they shouldn't drink anymore. But they continue to. Why? Because they're controlled by alcohol. True strength and growth comes from knowing what you're capable of doing and still choosing to do what is right. Okay? Knowing that I can knock this person out, but choosing to keep your hands to yourself. Okay? That is true strength, okay? Several opportunities. You know, growing up, I remember I had several opportunities to lose my virginity to people. It's not like I didn't have options. But I'm glad I didn't allow because I didn't want that to master me. Because after I got married, I, I'll never wish it would have been different. Now that I'm a married individual, I don't regret saving myself for marriage. I love it because the only person I ever think about is my wife. I don't have anyone to compare her to. She is my only thing. So somebody's like, oh, what if, what if the sex is bad? I don't know the difference, brah. She's the only one I've been with. <laughs> it's all good to me. Okay? I don't know the difference. Okay? So these are decisions that you're making today that will affect you long term. And listen to me. Even if you've already messed up down that road, I don't want you to feel like, man, I've beaten myself up. Because you're still making decisions today. And so you can make decisions that aren't going to change your past but will definitely change the trajectory of your future. So you got to learn to make them better. you got to learn to make decisions right. Number two, Paul points out, if you're going to ask this question, if you're making a decision on what you should do, ask this. Number two, is this beneficial to others' spiritual growth? So the first one is, is it beneficial to my growth? Your other question is, is this beneficial to other people's spiritual growth? Paul here is reminding the believers that it's not all about you. The world doesn't revolve around you. That you need to consider your testimony and the people around them. Just like he said, to honor your neighbor. Right? What are the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Some of your closest friends who don't believe in God are really hoping to, but you make it really difficult. Because of the choices that you make. Listen, 1 Corinthians 10.24. Let's look at it. Don't be concerned for your own good but for the good of others. Don't just think about yourself. Everyone in this room who is a believer is a leader. You are leading somebody. Someone looks up to you. Someone admires you. You have little brothers and sisters. You have friends. You have people that admire you, that admonish you, that want to be like you. People that often you've never met. 
People that look at you from afar. People who follow you on social media. There are people who admire you who are wanting to be like you. And some of us, we don't even understand how much influence we really have. And the problem is we can't make any ground spiritually because we set bad examples around us because we confuse the people who are closest to us. You want to know what was the most hurtful thing people would ever say to me after I became a Christian? I mean, it felt like a knife to my heart. Whenever I would hear an unbelieving friend question this and say, wait, aren't you a Christian? When they would see me do something and they would ask me, wait, aren't you a Christian? It hurt so bad. It hurt worse than if my pastor saw me do it. Because it was one of those moments where like, man, I'm letting them down. Because they were hoping I was the real deal and I'm acting fake. Because instead of messing around with this girl, I could have helped lead her to the Lord. Instead of getting in this guy's face, I could have helped him get to the face of God. But I didn't think about other people because that's what sin does. It makes you only ever think about yourself. Sin by definition is selfish. It's all about you, you, you. And you got to understand that it's more than just you. So I try my hardest not to do anything that would bring confusion to an unbeliever. The Bible never says, technically we talked about it's not a sin to drink. It is a sin to get drunk. So technically I can drink alcohol. But like I said, should I? No. Technically, I can go wherever I want. But if you walked in and you saw Pastor Joey coming out of a strip club, it would be weird, wouldn't it? If you walked in and you saw Pastor Joey coming out of a brothel, it would be confusing, wouldn't it? If you walked in and you saw Pastor Joey walking, stumbling out of a bar, you would go, whoa, I don't think I want to go to that church anymore. Can I tell you a secret? You're no different than I am. You are held to the same standard. Because just like you might consider me a little bit spiritually ahead of you, your unbelieving friends consider you very much spiritually ahead of them. And they are grasping and hoping to say, please, make the right decision, not for you, but for me. Because I'm looking for someone to hope in, and I don't know Jesus, so you're all I got. This is why we have to push it. Because if you really cared about your friends the way you claim to do, you would do what's best for them by giving them the greatest example you can give them. There have been so many moments... Where I didn't care about my own walk. But there were faces that kept me from doing something I would regret. Just, can I be real transparent? There was a lot of moments, especially during my single years, where I was tempted to do stuff that I wasn't supposed to be doing. And your faces would pop up. My students' faces would pop up and I would remember there are people that look up to me. It's not just my life. If I fall, it's not just I that fall, but it's everyone that's behind me. And I just can't do that. Listen, there's going to be moments where you don't care, where you've given up on yourself. But it amazes me how we're willing to give up on ourselves but not our friends. We'll use that. If you don't want to give up on them, then you keep pushing. I remember when I, I left for a season in church. I was gone for like a year or two. And I came back and, and I restored myself with God. And I didn't feel bad about anything except for the fact that my one friend that was holding me accountable, I walked away from. He was the only one that I went up to and said, hey, I want you to know that I apologize for leaving. I don't apologize to anybody else, but I knew you really cared about me and you were really trying to hold me accountable. And I'm sorry that I was too selfish to notice that. As a believer, there's a world of people who are looking at you just to see if you're the real deal. They're not just looking, they're hoping. No matter your age, someone wants to be like you. And 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. But be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, 
and your love, your faith, and your purity. I was hanging out with a new believer uh, Sunday afternoon. I, I took him and his girlfriend out for a coffee, and we just spent two hours talking. And, and I'm just like, hey, listen, here's, here's what the Bible says. And we're going back. We're having great conversations. And, and I just love how much he's trying to get in. And I'm trying to disciple this guy, and I'm trying to work with him and teach him. And he doesn't know anything. Like, he's never been to church. You know, we had to explain, like, very basic things to him. The other day, I, 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 was, I said something. I was like, amen? And he goes, amen? I'm like, do you know what that means? He goes, no, you, you just said it, so I thought I was supposed to say it. <laughs> but I love the fact that I can be an example for him. And so I'll say things, and he'll go, man, that makes so much sense. And I'm like, right? <laughs> but you know how exciting it is for me to know that I can mentor somebody, that I can lead somebody? That I don't have to do it just from a stage, but I can go out and have a cup of coffee and help someone who's really trying to know God. And sometimes the only person they'll see God in is you. Until they have a relationship with him personally, the only relationship they have is the one with you. And so you have to learn to make choices to say, listen, it's not just about me. If you truly want to change your world, then you have to be the model of change that you're looking for. That's why the last filter is so important. Number three, first of all, was it beneficial to you? Second of all, was it beneficial to other spiritual growth? And number three, is this beneficial to God's glory? Does it bring honor to God? Is what I'm doing glorifying God? Paul works his way backwards from what Jesus describes as the greatest commandment, right? Because the first thing he said is loving yourself, right? The first filter we talked about is does this help my spiritual growth? So first me. The second one was as your neighbor, right? So loving others as yourself. And now the most important one, loving God. You can't just say you love God. That doesn't work, okay? You can't just say. And we, we've all probably seen really bad relationships whether it's in our families or, or our neighbors or even on television, where there's abuse, where there's neglect, and you heard the, per the person say, but I love you. Anybody ever watch a show where, like, there's, there's a really messed up relationship, and you hear one of the characters go, but I love you, and in your head or even out loud, you're like, baloney. And you're, like, yelling at the TV, he don't love you. Oh, she don't love you. Why would she? I mean, you're yelling like they did it to you. I've gotten in trouble so many times watching television. Like if a guy cheats and my wife looks at me, he's like, it's the TV. It wasn't me. <laughs> She's like, well, if you ever did that, I, I know what you would do, woman. It ain't, that's, that's a made-up show. <laughs> okay? We get mad at it. Why? We, we hate that. We hate what we see on television. But you got to understand that you're living an example too. And if you're saying that the most important thing in your world, if God is the center of your world, you can't just say it. You have to live it. Your actions say more about what you think or what you believe than your words. Okay? So you got to live it out loud. Listen, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So everything you're doing needs to be done for the glory of God. So if you're going to wrestle, wrestle for the glory of God. Well, how do you wrestle for the glory of God? When everybody throws praise on you, that's an opportunity for you to redirect and say, hey, let me tell you why I was able to do what I've been able to do. When you sing on the worship team, Ara, give glory back to God. Hey, Ara, you did such a great job. Praise God that he gave me an opportunity to worship him in front of people. 
Okay? When you learn to always redirect praise, everything you do is an opportunity to bring glory to God. When you take a sick picture and post it on Instagram and people start giving you love and say, oh, that's a wonderful picture. Hey, man, isn't it amazing that I just got to take a snapshot of God's beautiful creation of what he's able to do? I'm taking credit for what he created. That's awesome. That I got a little picture. Sometimes we'll take a picture of the sky and everyone give us credit because the filter you put on it. And you're like, yeah, but can I tell you about the God who made that sky? Can I tell you about the God who made that bird that I photoshopped in my picture? <laughs> okay, learning to constantly redirect, learning to say, listen, everything I do, I do it for the glory of God. My mother in my entire life has never taken credit for one meal she's ever cooked. She cooks her, I mean, she is amazing. Mama can cook. I don't know what it is. I think just her fingers taste better, the seasoning coming off her hand, the way she stirs the pot. Her food is amazing. And in all the years of my life, every time I got up from the table and I said, thank you, mom, the first words out of her mouth, gracias a Dios. First thing, hey, thank God. My mom has never taken credit for one meal. I want to live like that. I want to make sure that everything I do, I do to the glory of God. But the problem is not just your achievements. But your sins then do the opposite. Because when you mess up, you can't say, hell, praise God for that. Right? Because what you did is you took away from his honor and his glory. Okay? The term glory means, means to bring high honor and praise to. To glorify something is to bring high honor and praise to. When your favorite player hits the game-winning shot, he brings glory to your team. When a soldier risks his life and earns a purple heart for rescuing an innocent, he brings glory to the country and his family. When you choose to live a godly life in an ungodly world, you bring glory to God. But the opposite of glory is shame. When your favorite player tests positive for steroids or is arrested for spousal abuse, he brings shame to his team. When a soldier is caught on camera mocking the dead, hurting an innocent, he brings shame to his country. When you claim to have a relationship with God but choose to exercise that freedom by fulfilling your own wicked desires, you bring shame to God. Because people will look at the life you live, the post you make, and go, if that is what it means to worship God, I don't want anything to do with your God. Can I tell you something? There are, there are Christians who really upset me because they fail to bring glory to God because they bring shame to God and they make my job that much more difficult. Because not only do I now have to get through your own issues, but I got to get through the issues that other people have placed on you because they brought shame to God. I want to live in such a way that everything I do brings honor to his name. I remember even growing up, this was my attitude with my parents. I never wanted my parents to be embarrassed about me. I don't know about you guys, but for me, the worst thing was seeing my mom or dad being disappointed in me. And as much as that was a big deal, and some of you were like, listen, Pastor Joy, I don't get that because I could care less. My parents aren't even in my life. Well, listen, there is a father in heaven who if you had a good relationship with him, you would understand after what God has done for me, the last thing I want to do is embarrass or shame him. I don't want to ever bring shame to his name. I don't want somebody to ever have to question whether or not they want a relationship with God because they see my messed up actions. 
because my selfish desires caused them to question the honor and glory of my God. I don't want to just wear this title of Christian. I want to live it. I want to live it in a way that if you touched and felt it, you would see that it was real. I want to make sure that whatever I speak brings honor and glory to God. I told you guys before that it took me two years to stop swearing. Me and Cindy were talking about this last week. It took me two years to stop swearing. Why was that? Because I was stubborn. <laughs> because I had a bad habit. But the thing that helped me change was I wanted to bring honor and glory to God. And the Bible says, how can fresh water and salt water flow from the same stream? How can you honor God with your lips and then curse man with your same tongue? And so for me, I realized, listen, I got to change the way I speak. I just can't keep cussing up a storm. I can't be at school making inappropriate jokes and cursing everybody out and then with that same mouth lead worship. <laughs> just can't. I got to make sure they line up. Why? Because I want to bring honor and glory to his name. Because I want to make sure that when people see me, they see God in me. When people hear me, they hear God through me. When people experience love from me, they understand that it's the love of the Father flowing through me. Worship team, if you can help me out. There's one more scripture I want you to look at. John chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. It says, he came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the, and focus on these two words, the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. See, physical birth, I love the way it says it. Physical birth, there's no plan behind that. I think I was eight years old when my parents told me I was an accident. And it just kind of blurted out in the car. They're like, oh, yeah, we didn't plan. You were oops, baby. And everyone's laughing in the car. I'll be honest with you, I didn't care. <laughs> like, you didn't bother me. But I remember in the middle of the night, my dad coming in my room. And he sat down in my bed and he said, he just wanted to explain, hey, I don't want you to feel like we didn't want you. You know, we didn't love you. I, you know, I want you to know we love you. And I remember looking at my dad going, pop, I don't care. What were you going to do, put me back? I was already here. Like, that's fine. We are you great parents. But listen, let's be honest. Not all of us here were planned by our parents. Some of us aren't even liked by our parents. Some of us are resented by our parents. But you know what the Bible tells me? That this right to be called a child of God didn't come from a passion, from a one-night stand. It's a birth that is planned by God. It's a birth that God had in mind. As a Christian, I don't ever feel restricted by rules or laws because I've been given the right to be called the child of God. It's an honor to live a life that glorifies God. This is the right that I have as a believer to be considered his. Therefore, whatever rights I feel are owed to me as a person, I gladly forfeit them for the right to be considered a child of God. Whatever rights I might think I have in this world, where I have the right to, to sleep with who I want to sleep with, or I have the right to do what I want to do, or I have the right to be who I want to be, I would gladly forfeit all those rights for the right to be considered a child of God. And if any one of those rights threatens my right to be called a child of God, it's worthless to me. 
The only right I have, the only thing I need, the only thing that I deserve, or I should say not deserve, but God in his kindness has given me, is the right to be called the child of God. And listen, just in case you're curious, because you hear this a lot in today's age, not everyone who is a human being is a child of God. And you'll hear that, hey, we're all God's children. No, we are not. The Bible is very clear. There are some who are children of the devil, and there are those who are children of God. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, you are adopted into the family of God. You are a child of God. Those who have not, you are still a child of the devil. It's very clear. And I want you to understand, as God's child, I don't worry about what I can or cannot do. Because I am fully aware of what I should and shouldn't do. Okay? He guides my every step. I trust exactly where God leads me and where God keeps me from. In Galatians, it talks about being led by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 says, be led by the Spirit. That word, being led by the Spirit, I want you to understand, it's an illustration. Uh, think about a train. Okay? Consider a train. If you've ever noticed, the train is, is moved and led by the locomotive in the front. All the other cars don't have any power in them. They're being pulled by the main car in the front. When the Spirit leads you, it is bringing you along with it. It's not your own strength. It's not your own effort. It's not you trying really, really hard to be good. It is being led by the Spirit. I go where the Spirit leads me. I speak what the Spirit tells me to speak. I act the way the Spirit calls me to act. He guides my every step. I trust exactly where God leads me and where God keeps me from. It's not one thing God has asked of me that I regret. And that to me is truly living in freedom. People think living for God is a restriction. No, that's where real freedom comes from. The freedom from guilt. The freedom from shame. The freedom from abandonment. The freedom from comparison. The freedom from being who everybody else says I need to be and understanding that I only need to be who God's called me to be. The freedom of loving someone with everything in me and knowing that that love is given back 10 times over. That's freedom. Everything else you're talking about, those are chains that bind you up in sin. So why don't I ask can or can I? Because I only ever ask the Holy Spirit, should I, shouldn't I? The Bible doesn't tell you all the can things. Like, weed's not in the Bible. It doesn't say, can I smoke a blunt or not? <laughs> you know what's in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, as the Bible says. So when I'm wondering, should I, shouldn't I do this? Instead of me rationalizing with my brain, I allow the Holy Spirit to say, hey, does this bring me honor and glory? No, then you know the answer to that. Hey, does this lead others to God or away from me? Then you know your answer now. Hey, does this make you a stronger Christian or a weaker Christian? Then you know your answer.